0: will you go with me to the throne of God in prayer? Almighty God, we come before you now as your people, and we come to the one who has told us that even the number of hairs on our head are numbered. We can bring our needs to you because you care for us in such an imaginable way. Father, we pray for our church today. Father, would you grow our church in integrity? Father, would you work in each of us as we grow a hatred for sin and a love for Christ? Father, would you help us to confess our sin quickly to you and to one another? Would you help us to desire holiness more than we desire looking holy. Would you help us to uh, be involved in one another's struggles for holiness? Grow us, we pray. Father, as we gather, we pray for those who have recently covenanted with us and become members. Father, we pray for Shirley and Fernando, Jessica, Blake, Cherry, Brady, Lauren, Karen, Noah, Caitlin, Brian, Ashley, David. Father, we pray that you would grow these new members while they are among us. Father, we pray that they would invest themselves spiritually in the lives of others, in the lives of our church. Father, may we pursue them, each one of them, and walk with them on their walk towards heaven. Father, we pray for our brother David as he's baptized today. Oh God, would you preserve our brother David? Would his faith grow to heights that are beyond our imagination? Would you keep him safe spiritually through high school, whatever comes next, perhaps through college, through marriage, through parenthood, Father, whatever lies in his path, would you keep him, O God? Father, if your son tarries and does not return first, may David one day face his deathbed, holding on to Jesus Christ in trust and satisfaction and joy. Father, we also pray for me. I need your help as I go to Kenya this week. Father, we pray that you would keep me safe, that you'd use me among the students that I'll be teaching. Father, as I teach on your church in missions, Father, we pray that you would raise up African pastors and missionaries and church members who will go to unreached peoples in Africa and take the gospel where it is not currently proclaimed. Father, we pray that you'd work through this teaching this week in Nairobi, and not because of me, but because of your power that you powerfully work within us. Father, work in that way even now in this room, we pray. Would you open our eyes in such a way that we could exalt in the glory of your Son, that we could rest in him, that we would fear not because he is for us. Help us, work in us now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, October is upon us, which means many in our culture are counting down to the holiday at the end of the month, Reformation Day. (laughs) Some 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation responded to some of the worst hypocrisy and corruption of religious leaders in church history. The Roman Catholic Church had been leading others astray in droves. Consider the case of a man by the name of Johann Tetzel. Tetzel was a traveling evangelist for the Roman Catholic Church who sold indulgences. Now, indulgences uh, were made-up certificates from the Church of Rome that claimed falsely to purchase forgiveness for your loved ones who had passed away. And Tetzel... He was like those Pharisees that we saw last week. He was an unmarked grave, selling false hope for his own gain. So you can just picture this man, this, this hypocrite, literally walking through the streets, tricking people to buy his indulgences and have false hope. He'd walk through the streets singing his jingles. This, here's one of them. Place your penny in on the drum. The pearly gates open and in strolls mom. He'd say that to people. He'd convince them that their loved ones would make it to heaven if they'd give him their money. When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. This con artist would literally call out, don't you hear the voices of your wailing dead parents in hell, have mercy on us because we are in severe punishment and pain and you could redeem us with a small payment. Johann Tetzel's evil manipulation caught the attention of a young monk by the name of Martin Luther. That's a story for another day. The corruption and hypocrisy of the church before the Reformation is really nothing new, Uh, just like corruption and hypocrisy in churches today is really nothing new. Last week, we saw Jesus call out the hypocrisy in the religious leaders of his day. And in a much earlier reformation of sorts, he called his followers to stand up and act differently than those hypocritical leaders that were around them. Jesus warned and taught his disciples how to avoid hypocrisy. In fact, this is what we're going to see today. How can disciples live lives of integrity? How can we avoid that deadly hypocrisy that we studied last week? Our passage today is going to try to answer this question. And the answer to it, in part, is by having an eternal perspective. That's right. By seeing rightly, by seeing eternally. We become people of integrity. So let's see this together. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll be in the passage David just read for us, verses 1 through 11. We're going to unpack these three paragraphs together, all of which shape our perspective. They help us to avoid hypocrisy. We'll see see three truths as we go along. So let's begin with a context. Look at verse 1. We read there, In the meantime when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So this passage is coming directly on the heels of Jesus denouncing the Pharisees. And this seems to draw a crowd. Now there's no microphones, there's no PA system back in that day. So everyone went to hear Jesus, and the crowd was so great that they were literally crushing in on one another to hear what this teacher would say. Uh, but interestingly, Jesus here, in these first 12 verses, turns to address his disciples. He begins with them first. Verse 1, he warns against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he calls it leaven. Do you see it there in the vast passage? This would have been an illustration that is that everyone really would have been familiar with. Everyone made bread, and everyone knew that even the smallest amount of leaven or, or yeast in a bread would make the entire loaf rise. Yeast may seem small, but it works predictably. It, it infects everything around it, just spreads out consistently. So it is with hypocrisy. So Jesus says... Beware, disciples. Be on guard. Don't let this active agent into your house. It will spread quicker than you realize. Church, we don't want this to be true of us here. We can easily look out at at other churches and look down on others that we think they're the hypocritical ones. But we should hear Christ's words here be on guard against hypocrisy being found among us. Well, how are we to avoid hypocrisy? Jesus today gives us three ways. Number one, replace secrecy with transparency. Replace secrecy with transparency. You see, hypocritical people are masters of disguise. They're all about secrecy. Even this English word hypocrite comes from the same Greek word, hypocrisies and another a number of languages would translate this idiomatically to be mean to have two faces because it comes from when ancient actors Would use a mask to cover up their face When they're putting on a show they would literally be hypocrites Putting on a mask to describe disgru- disguise who they truly were underneath so Jesus says in verse 2 and 3 That a great unmasking is coming. We read there nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So, Jesus here refers to the final day in which Scripture explains that the works of all mankind will be revealed. Everything you have done will be shown for its true value. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, When the Lord comes, he will bring to light things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Imagine that. Not only your actions being shown for what they are, but even your motives, the purposes of your heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. So here in Luke, Jesus is looking forward to that final day. When Christians will, well, we Christians, we won't be condemned, but our works will be exposed. And we will all see sin openly, as God sees it. So just think about those moments that perhaps you tend to whisper things that you probably just shouldn't say. I don't know where it is for you, like alone in the car, or in a private phone call, or in a back hallway at church. Think about the times that you share information about someone that you really shouldn't be repeating. Or times that you were perhaps nosy about news that really wasn't your business to ask about. Or times that you spoke critically of someone in a way that you'd be embarrassed if others heard you say those things. Jesus says what you whisper in those moments, it's really on a microphone. You think you're discreet, but it's as if in the other room there's an auditorium blasting, saying what you're saying. If your words have a two facedness about them that you'd be mortified if others hear, Jesus says your problem is that you're short sighted. Do you see that in the text? You know, short sighted people can only see just what's right there in front of them. You, you take their glasses off, and everything out there just looks blurry. You all are amorphous blobs to me right now, <laughs> it loses its fo- focus. You can't see. But if you're not short-sighted, then you can see far off. Jesus is saying that when your words lose their integrity, you aren't seeing your future clearly. You aren't seeing what will be exposed. Every careless word will be exposed. So Jesus gives us a better perspective. He says, replace your short-sighted hypocrisy with an understanding of transparency. Friends, if we believed this, think about what type of church we would become. The New Testament's warnings against meddlers or busybodies or those who gossip. Well, we wouldn't be able to find those here at all. Does your speech in secret reflect the caliber of integrity that you would be happy to just make public for all to hear. Uh, Another implication. Christians here today, if an understanding of this was true of you, how should this affect your confession of sin to other Christians? Do you confess your sin to others in a way that's really trying to keep the, the worst parts of it hidden? Like, so that you feel like you confessed... But really, let me just hold on to this, really, the, the part I'm most ashamed of. Are you short-sighted to think that, that that could stay hidden one day? Why not find a mature Christian and confess with transparency, even the very worst of it? Why not make a, a habit of outing yourself now, rather than waiting until you're exposed? If you think your hidden is hidden, Jesus is saying, in view of eternity, you are like the emperor who has no clothes. You're only fooling yourself. So Christians fight hypocrisy by looking to the final day and realizing that secrecy with sin is at best a temporary facade. Let's see a second way that we avoid hypocrisy. Look at verses 4 through 7. We read there, I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten by God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, how do we avoid hypocrisy? Number two, replace fear of man with fear of God. So, last week we talked about this. We talked about living for the wrong audience and how it's intrinsic to hypocrisy. Well, Jesus here picks up the same theme again. Must be important for us to understand. You might find it strange to hear Jesus say, don't fear those who can only kill you. I mean, death, it's it's one of humanity's most basic, most natural fears, is it not? Well, Jesus radically reorients this, and he limits the significance of death of your physical body. Did you see it there in the verse? Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, have nothing more they can do their power is limited. If there is a life after death, which there is, then your physical death is not the only, the most important thing for you to fear losing. Like, your life isn't your greatest concern. When you live based on the the fear of what others will do, you're not living in light of eternity. You're not seeing rightly. You're being short-sighted again. Jesus says, don't fear man. Now, John Hooper was a Protestant pastor who was imprisoned during the Reformation by Queen Mary. He was repeatedly brought before a council and repeatedly given the opportunity to recant his beliefs in Christ. But he consistently refused. So, uh, bloody Queen Mary sentenced him to death. On February 9th, 1555, he was taken out to be burned at the stake for his belief and his faithful proclamation of the gospel. Now, when a Roman Catholic at the execution site saw him going to this death for what he was claiming to believe in, this Protestant gospel, uh, this man urged him to, to save his life by recanting, Listen to Hooper's response. This is what he said. He said, life is sweet and death is bitter. But eternal life is more sweet and eternal death is more bitter. This is what Christians believe. We believe that any of the sweetness of this life just pales in comparison to eternal life with Jesus Christ. And any suffering, any death that you could possibly face this week in any part of your life, it, like the worst thing that you could possibly imagine, it just pales in comparison to the eternal death waiting those who deny Christ. John Hooper was then burned alive. And I believe he's living eternally now with Christ. Friends, do not fear man. Jesus speaks of a greater fear that minimizes any suffering that you could possibly face. The greater fear that puts superficial, man-centered hypocrisy to death. We see it in verse five. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying when you fear others, your fear isn't too great. It's too small. You're forgetting the sheer magnitude of God. Now, Notice here, this warning of hell is especially addressed to Jesus' disciples, which, just to be honest, has just perplexed me all week. I mean, I've just gotten stumped over this verse here. I'm not surprised to see a warning of hell for unbelievers. I'm surprised to see For us believers, a warning of hell When so many times throughout scripture Believers are told that they're the ones who don't fear death Because we don't have to fear hell We have a mediator But here, the disciples are told To to fear God with, with hell Clearly in view, especially sharp Why would Jesus frame it this way? What is he doing here? Why put the risk of hell on the table for us to look at? I think the answer comes from the context of the passage and what Jesus is doing here. This warning of hell is in the direct context of a warning against hypocrisy as we please man. Do you see that? So while throughout scripture, Christians shouldn't live in a state of being continually afraid, we're about to see this in a minute, I think Christians who are hypocrites should be caught by fear when they read this verse. You see, the Bible teaches widely that if you claim to follow Christ, but you still entertain sin in your life, well then you've just lost your right to a sense of eternal security if you have sin that you're hanging on to, well, I, I, I mean, you might be a Christian. Time will tell. But the longer you keep living in that sin, the, the evidence is just becoming less and less. The longer you keep sleeping with your boyfriend or going to that website or harboring bitterness or taking something that doesn't belong to you and just living in it, hypocritically, Well, the longer that happens, the more you should fear the existence of an eternal sentence of God that your faith wasn't real. Christian friends, turn from your sin like your life depends on it. Your repentance, it doesn't save you, but your repentance is the only real proof that you have that you are saved, that you have true faith. So Jesus says, fear God, not man. As you replace this fear of God, man with the fear of God, notice how quickly Jesus turns to his sweet and tender love for you. Did you see that like abrupt turn in the text? Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? It is not one of them forgotten by God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more valued than many sparrows. So, uh, sparrows here would have been just the cheapest living thing that someone could possibly buy on the market. I picked up the phone called called PetSmart this week, found that a goldfish at PetSmart costs you 36 cents. That's all you need to have a pet this afternoon. right? Completely insignificant. That's the point. This is what Jesus is saying about the sparrow. So you can just imagine, if you will, Bill. Let's steal this from a friend. Uh, Bill is a pretty average sparrow. He grew up with a pretty dull personality. Uh, he was born in a nest here in Boynton Beach. I think he's about a year old. He's already made it through a third of his very exciting life. Uh, last week has been a bit more difficult for Bill because you know insects have been harder to find in this cold weather. Uh, it's really put Bill in a bad mood, quite honestly. And I could go on. We're we're, we're kind of chuckling here because I basically just wasted 30 seconds of this sermon talking about Bill and 30 seconds of your attention. To you, he's radically insignificant. But why, why are you even naming him, right? But Jesus is saying not one sparrow, not Bill or Ted, is forgotten by God. The point is not that you would appreciate birds more. The point is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God has not forgotten every one of the most insignificant parts of his creation, how much more does he not also care for you? How much more does he not see every part of your life and care for you in what you're walking through? If you're not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This great God is the only one whose opinion matters immeasurably. Yet he's the only one who cares for you immeasurably. Clearly, he wants you to come to him, even as you fear him. So, uh, how could this be then, that we are told to fear him, and yet not fear? Did you see that in the text when we read it? Fear him, verse 5. It says it twice. Fear him. And yet... Look down at verse 7. Fear not. Well, how could this be? I wonder if you could imagine, if you would, a hurricane that just grows and grows and grows to the point where this hurricane is of just of unprecedented size. Just this massive storm, and its, its sheer power and force come. You realize that to stand in front of These winds means certain death. You will be destroyed. You're right to fear those winds. This is a small picture of the magnitude of our creator. And yet, as you see the hurricane, you realize that the safest place is not on the outskirts of the hurricane, but in pressing in further. If something or someone could transport you to being in the middle of the hurricane, in the eye of the storm, well, you would find perfect peace and yet be in the middle of the force that should cause such great fear. If you could live in the eye of that hurricane, the the same winds that could kill you now wrap around you to protect you and to care for you. I think that's the picture of what we see of God here. Oh, beloved, the one who has authority to cast into hell has used that good authority to make sure that we are not forgotten. You need only be afraid of him with this crippling fear if you are outside of him. Let me talk just briefly here to anyone who's not yet a Christian. Maybe you're just visiting and you're just listening to us talk about what the Bible says, and you're thinking about what all these believers are saying, maybe you're still considering Christ for yourself. I wonder, do you see the kind of loving, tender care that the Bible says God offers those who follow him? He knows every one of the hairs on your head. He knows every detail about who you are, every single thing you ever struggle with. He knows. He loves you. Who wouldn't want to follow such a kind God? Won't you come to him today? Friends, this God will be to you like peace in the middle of a storm. But if you ignore him, if you ignore this God, this verse says he will not just let you slip away. Even at the end of your life, when you think, that you are just finally exiting stage right. This God, this passage says, has the authority to cast into hell. Notice that this is not an accident. It is a sentence. Ignoring this God deserves eternal death. Hell in this passage, hell is real, it is eternal, it is horrible, And it is completely avoidable. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you, for us, to offer the eternal payment for our sin. And he then rose from the dead. If you ignore his work, if you ignore him in your life, then in this next life, God says that it will be too late for you. Oh, friends, replace your fear of man with the fear of God. Let's look at a third and final way that we avoid hypocrisy. Listen as I read verses 8 through 12. We find there, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgotten. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are ought to say. So how do we avoid hypocrisy? Number three, replace denial with confession. Replace denial with confession. This passage is all about confessing Jesus Christ. Your speech reveals your heart. Just like we come to faith in Christ, and we confess Jesus, Romans 10, 9 and 10, so also those who have true trust in Christ will reveal it by their speech. And Christ then will advocate for them in heaven. Angels will stand as witness as Jesus's mediation before the Father. Jesus will call us His. But if you refuse to confess Christ, you'll find that Jesus will not be an advocate for you. This is what I think verses 8 and 9 are talking about. Now, verse 10 might sound confusing, but I think it's actually clarifying the same principle. Look at it again with me, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So Jesus seems to want to clarify different types of denial here. Some of us speak against Christ, but will be forgiven. So uh, perhaps think of Peter, who denied Christ. Uh, we are sometimes weak. Jesus forgave Peter. He forgives you when you're not perfectly faithful. But there is a more persistent and more fundamental denial of God, which is what I think scripture is t- Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This, I think, is the rejection of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. And if that persists, if you dig your heels in there, then when you die, you are hopeless. I think Daryl Bach is helpful here. He explains the difference between a denial of nerve and a denial of the heart. Denial of nerve would be like Peter, who denied Christ in a weak moment, but then repented came back and professed Christ even more. Whereas a, a don, denial of the heart would be like Judas who, who turned from Christ and dug his heels in and indeed was not forgiven. If you're worried that you're like Judas, uh, let me just encourage you, the, the, the mere fact that you're worried, you're not wanting to do this, is a good sign that you haven't yet fully denied Christ. The point the point is that we're to confess Jesus Christ. Our outward language should match what we say we believe. We are not to be hypocrites as we confess Christ with those that we talk to. So do you want to put away hypocrisy? Then speak consistently about Christ in your life. So Christians, let me just apply this first. Christians in your workplace. If you work here, or if you work and you're here, uh, would anyone in your work be surprised to find out that you are a Christian? Or, or do you subtly hide it? Do you find ways to just downplay your faith in your life? Or what about with extended family? An incredibly hard place to faithfully confess Christ. Is there integrity in your witness? Or are you double-faced? Do you have a a subtle hypocrisy as you don't really want to confess Christ fully to those that it could hurt most? Students, when, when you're in school, are there times when you downplay being a follower of Jesus? Times when it just isn't as cool to be serious about your faith. Jesus is calling you to not have two different masks. To not have your your church mask that you put on when you're excited about Jesus openly, and then your public mask that you put on to to tone down your excitement, to make it more palatable to your family and your friends and those outside. No, Jesus is saying, confess Christ openly. Acknowledge him. Now this third time, notice that Jesus is again calling us not to be short-sighted. He's saying we fix this type of hypocrisy again by looking to the future. Look to the final day. Oh, church, I promise you, on that final day, when you stand before your Lord, you will not regret acknowledging Him before others. Like, whatever situation you're thinking about right now, whether it's at work, or with your family, or or with people that you just haven't been talking to about Jesus Christ, like, when, when you stand before Christ on that final day, you will not care what that person thinks of you. Like one day, if you just could see far enough into the future, you will only care that you acknowledged Jesus Christ, that you stood for him. But if you do deny him, if you do subtly just push down this part of your life, oh, I, I guarantee you, you will regret that. Look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus gives us a beautiful promise. He says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Jesus here speaks of the synagogues, uh, which would have been the, the Jewish court of examination, and the rulers and authorities, which I think might be referring to the Gentile courts of examination. And he tells his followers, don't be anxious. Don't worry in that moment. The Holy Spirit will be your helper. He'll be your teacher. He'll guide you how to stand up and how to speak. Now, Certainly this was true for Peter in Acts 3. Certainly it was true for Stephen in Acts 7. Certainly it was true for Paul in Acts 21 through 28. Certainly this was, has been true for countless Christians throughout the centuries who have put Jesus' promise to the test. They've said, okay, I'll acknowledge you and, and trust that God would guide them to speak faithfully. I wonder, will this be true of you? What will you do in the moment that you have to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ? well, we should conclude. I I wonder if some of us have areas of our lives that we realize have been inconsistent, where you have been uh, perhaps short-sighted, perhaps not spoken about Christ, where you perhaps haven't obeyed him as you ought, where you've not focused on Christ as you ought, where you have feared those who can only hurt your reputation those who can make your life a bit awkward, but can't harm your soul. Let me close by encouraging you with the story of Thomas Cranmer in our theme of the Reformation. Described by some as one of the architects of the Protestant Reformation, he also was persecuted under Queen Mary. Thomas Cranmer was imprisoned and he was tortured for Christ. Now, to his enduring shame, when he was under extreme duress, Thomas Cranmer privately recanted his faith. He wrote saying that he no longer believed the gospel. Much to his surprise though, to the surprise of his captors, when they took him before a crowd to speak, He took to the pulpit, and he publicly changed course. He publicly claimed Christ again after just failing. And he was literally dragged out of the pulpit, and he was literally dragged out to the stake to be burned. There, when headed to the stake, he he publicly announced, this is what he said, he said, For as much as my hand has offended by writing a denial of Christ, contrary to my heart, my hand shall be the first to be punished. And he was true to his word. As the fires were lit around him, he held out his hand that had signed his recantation, so that it might be the first part of his body to burn. What a dying legacy. A man, convicted of his passing hypocrisy of recanting Christ, Dies repenting and looking to the final day. He calls out to his Lord as he died there on the stake. Church, I wonder what will be your final testimony? Will you live looking towards that final day? Will you live transparently, not pretending to hide your sin? Will you confess Christ openly, freely, happily? Will you fear the God that has all authority and yet yet uses it for you? Look to him and obey. And as you look, look in faith to that future grace. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for these words from Christ. We confess that we are indeed weak. We so often are short-sighted looking to today, looking to what others think of us now. Father, I pray for us, we pray for this church, that you would give us backbones of steel that, that speak up for Jesus Christ, that acknowledge him, that confess him, that confess our sins openly, that, that fear you, and yet find ourselves not afraid in you. Work in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ.